Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Scientology Fair Game, the podcast. Hi, Mikey. Hi, Lily. How, How are, are you? you? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> oh, good. Mikey. I'm excited today. Yeah. We have our good friend Lloyd Evans joining us. Uh, Lloyd, as viewers of the aftermath will know, is an ex Jehovah's Witness writer, activist, and filmmaker. His John Cedars YouTube channel and jwsurvey.org website are both popular resources for Jehovah's Witnesses mm-hmm. who are starting to question their beliefs. Lloyd has also written two books, The Reluctant Apostate, Leaving Jehovah's Witnesses Comes at a Price, and How to Escape from Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. He helped us organize the Jehovah's Witness special that we did on the aftermath and he is a wealth of information about the Jehovah's Witnesses and a very effective activist against the abuses of the organization. So welcome, Lloyd. It's great to speak with you again. Thank you so much for having me back. It's an absolute honor and privilege. I really enjoyed working with you both on the Aftermath special. So feels like a bit of a reunion. It does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> And for those of you who don't know, we, uh, Mike and I did a special on the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, on our Scientology Aftermath show because we were getting so many tweets, so many messages on Mike's blog about the the connection and, and the similarities between the Jehovah's Witnesses and Scientology and their tactics um, and so we just felt that it was so important to to give our audience what they wanted. And I started to uh, receive books from a friend of mine, Sonia, who was a Jehovah's Witness, uh, who was uh, had come out and her family had shunned her and the pain of that and her mother not knowing her granddaughter. And so... But then it was when she sent me the books, I was like, wow, I the wow. So we felt really a, a responsibility to do a, a special. How many people did we have on that panel, Lloyd? Oh, gosh. 15, um, maybe? Okay, 15. Yeah. And Lloyd, when I tell you, that every story had layers and layers of pain. We didn't even know where to begin. We 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 could have done a whole series, which I wish we would have done, on A and E, on the Jehovah's Witnesses and the and the awful effects that that it has on its uh, its well intentioned members uh but the, we could but only the, scratch the surface couldn't only we, in a, in a scratch special. yes and and what it was a two-hour special right yeah yeah it was yeah. two hours and you remember how how difficult it was to edit it down to two hours it took us forever painful, painful. <laughs> i can remember we didn't know what to leave out yeah exactly yeah exactly because cut. yeah because we wanted to get it right and and lloyd we cannot thank you enough for your help this episode that that special would not have been what it was and without you honestly thank without you, you thank it, you it was a you... privilege to be involved and to this day i continue to get feedback from people saying that this was a transformative experience for them to finally see all of these issues that they thought were, were just problems for them um suddenly they receive validation and realize that no right. These are real problems that are affecting millions of followers and thousands more who've since left. Right. Yeah. And and so and we still receive messages from people uh, telling us the impact it had. Um, and uh, we wanted to ask you too about the parallels because what what were the parallels that you noticed, Lloyd, between uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses and and Scientology? Well, they're both cults. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And I think that when you have a cult, the way I like to describe it is they can have completely different teachings, Mm -hmm. completely different policies, completely different hierarchies and different structures. But when you lift the bonnet up, they've got the same machinery whirring away underneath. So they can look completely different, but 
scratch beneath the surface and you'll see the exact same strategies, the exact same methods being used to control people. And with Jehovah's Witnesses, you have the same fear-mongering when it comes to external scrutiny, external critical information. Don't read it. Stay away from it. It's all false. It's all lies. Correct. And you have the same breaking apart of families in Scientology. It's disconnection in Jehovah's Witnesses. It's disfellowshipping and disassociation, right. which has the same effect of uh, driving people insane because we're social creatures. We can't deal with being separated from those that we love. Correct. As well, I was going to say the the thing that Nate talked about, one of our uh, guests on the aftermath, was conditional love. Growing up with conditional love is very similar to Scientology, where your parents, your family, and your friends who all are in this cult uh, and sharing in the same beliefs, uh, we are all being raised knowing that our mother or father only loves us to the extent uh, to, uh, of our connection to this cult. And growing up that way is a form of child abuse and neglect. Um, and it's, it's, it's heartbreaking when you hear these stories of families being destroyed, as you said, in the name of quote-unquote religion. When we got to um, how the Watchtower deals with, and, and maybe you should explain what the Watchtower is, Lloyd, before I go. Sure. So Watchtower is just the kind of catch-all word that activists like myself use to describe the leadership of Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses are led by a governing body currently comprised of eight members who live and work in upstate New York, uh, but they use a number of legal entities to run their global uh, organization. And one of the main entities is called the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society of Pennsylvania, um, which was set up to, in part, promote their magazine, The Watchtower. So okay. Watchtower is just a convenient way of describing this kind of global organization that has a, a grip on the minds of millions of Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, yeah, it's just a convenient catch-all term. Sure, and the, and the governing body, like you said, would be our David Miscavige, the person yeah. who, uh, and, and in this case, it's it's... It's a group of men, but in Scientology, it's one man. It's David Miscavige, who's the leader of Scientology. Answerable uh, to no one. They elect correct. themselves. There's no transparency when it comes to how new members are selected or anything like that. And and one of the beliefs that was uh, very alarming to me was how they deal with um, um, sexual abuse. Uh, mm. If you are if you are molested as a child. Um, and you're Jehovah's Witness, you need to have witnesses to this crime taking place. And if you do not have those witnesses, um, it's it's what? What what happens? Why don't you explain so, it instead of me? Yeah, so they have a judicial, what they would call a spiritual or pastoral approach to dealing with child sexual abuse. Uh, where they deal with the sinfulness of it. And the the way they approach the sinfulness often translates directly to the way they treat the criminality of it. In fact, the sinfulness, it could be argued, outweighs the criminality. So that, as you say, if a, an abuse victim approaches the elders and says, I've been abused, they will want to know if there was a witness, an eyewitness to this happening, uh, as we all know, when it Child comes molesters to, usually yeah. call people into the room when they're about to commit a crime. This stuff nearly always happens without there being someone on hand to, sure. to see it happen. And so what elders have been told in the published materials, in the published direction, is that you're to leave matters in Jehovah's hands. In other words, you need to basically pretend this never happened or pretend that this essentially didn't happen because if there's not an extra witness, then it didn't happen. Right. And so this has had the effect of silencing victims, making them uh, afraid to pursue justice. And when you look at an organizational level, what's happened is over the years, they have amassed this database of thousands of accusations uh, we were estimating of, of abuse. In Australia, it was 1,006 perpetrators the authorities discovered 
that were being kept on Watchtower's records and not a single one had been reported to the authorities. And when you factor in what we've just been considering about this two-witness rule, you can understand why that would be. Basically, they've taken this Bible verse in Deuteronomy 19.15 and that has influenced the way the organisation has handled these uh, accusations of child sex abuse so that none of them have ended up getting reported and all of these individuals who were accused have remained in circulation within the organization. Right. Now, if somebody was to grow up and report their abuse to the authorities, what happens then? Right. It's changed slightly. There were lots of, there's lots of anecdotal evidence that the way it used to be handled was that these individuals would be accused of slander. If you've gone to the authorities against uh, outside of the authority of the elders, mm -hmm. then what you're doing is you're slandering this individual and you're bringing reproach on Jehovah's name. Mm -hmm. That might still be happening, but at least as far as the current policy goes, survivors and their parents are told that it's their right to go to the authorities. Now, the problem you have is that in Jehovah's Witnesses, they are told that just because you have the right to do something, doesn't mean you should do that right. thing. And right. and that's a very important caveat that is glossed over when witnesses are presenting sure. this to the media. They'll say, oh, well, we, we our elders tell uh, abuse survivors that they absolutely have the right to go to the authorities. And journalists will go away thinking, oh, well, that sounds perfectly reasonable. But they don't understand that in Jehovah's Witness culture, there's a difference. You can right. have the right to do something, but it's still the wrong thing to do. Right. Now, Lloyd, I know this, uh, but just for our listeners, how long were you a Jehovah's Witness? Uh, 23 years as and a baptized was, witness. Yeah. Right. And then what was your wake up call? I moved to a different country. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. Because obviously when you are a Jehovah's Witness, you're going to, it used to be three, but it's essentially now two meetings per week that I was going to. That's a very regular kind of flow of indoctrination that's sure. being, you know, pumped directly into your brain. You're you're sitting in a kingdom hall in a windowless building usually yeah. for up to four hours, maybe five hours a week. And you don't it doesn't really give you time or space to think. But sure. for me personally, when I moved to Croatia because I met a Croatian uh, lady through through the religion, because I went to a special class for Jehovah's Witnesses, and one of the guys on my class was from Croatia, so that's how I ended up meeting Diana. Um, and we ended up moving to Croatia, and within a few months of moving, there I was thinking, hang on, um, I'm not sure I believe this, <laughs> that yeah. I was going to these meetings, and the way I describe it is, you know on Charlie Brown you have the teacher that goes... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, <laughs> I was at these meetings, and they were. It was all in Croatian. I couldn't understand it, and all of a sudden, it was like I had room to breathe. And it was right. like, hang on a minute, do I really believe this? Right. Uh, and it didn't take long to realize, actually, no, I, I don't. I have all of these doubts that I've been piling up for years and years and years, and maybe it's time I revisit them. So that's essentially how I woke up. And and for that, you have been. Uh, called an apostate, you have been labeled an enemy by the Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Your family has disassociated, is that the right word? Disassociated? I've been disassociated, yeah. yeah so, yeah, yeah my, my father is an elder and he hasn't met his two grandchildren now. So I have two right. now. Right. And uh, yeah, I'm, I don't mind them calling me an apostate because an apostate is someone who's left their religion. And I think that if you discover that your religion is corrupt and abusive and um, and uh, wrong, then you have a moral duty to leave it if you're able to. And so I don't mind them calling me an apostate. I do mind them accusing me of hate speech, uh, which is another thing entirely which we might get onto. But yes, yeah, please, they... <laughs> please do. Go ahead. So it's a little bit of a long story, but I'm involved as a core participant. Um, for the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse in England and Wales. Yeah. It's um, obviously an investigation that's been set up to understand more about institutional child sexual abuse. And I was approached because of my knowledge of Jehovah's Witnesses 
and I applied to become a core participant and they allowed me to be a core participant. And a core participant is somebody who, rather than simply giving evidence, is able to submit questions to the inquiry and submit evidence and they're able to be involved on a far more extensive scale than simply someone who's there to answer questions. Sure. And so uh, anyway, the inquiry um, finally got round to having their hearings. It was all delayed due to COVID-19, but they finally had their hearings um, back in, uh, I think it was August. And it was quite interesting because the whole thing was a little bit anticlimactic because they tended, they, I felt that they gave they gave the Jehovah's Witness representative Paul Gillies some softball questions, and and mostly he was able to kind of get through it fairly unscathed. But then, right at the end, right at the end, one of the panel members asked him an awkward question that he didn't like, or that Jehovah's Witnesses didn't like, and we found out a few weeks later that they had since asked to have this panel member of the inquiry. So we're talking about a very respected uh, lawyer in, in England and Wales who's this panel member for the investigation. They wanted to get him thrown off because he'd asked this question that they didn't like. Right. And in their paperwork, in their correspondence where they were asking for this to happen, they mentioned my name. Right. And it turned out they they just let it slip that they'd also asked for me to be thrown off the inquiry as a core participant uh, way back in, I think it was February. And they were almost complaining that, well, you didn't do this for us and now we're asking you to do this and you're not doing that either. And so I was like, whoa, hold on. Uh, <laughs> you You did what? And so we were able, my lawyer and I were able to get all of the correspondence. And it turned out that Jehovah's Witnesses back in, February of 2020, had sent through a letter to the inquiry asking me to be thrown off the inquiry because I am, quote unquote, a hate speech enthusiast. Mm. And they sent through a nine page dossier with 30 something examples from my YouTube channel and from my Twitter account of me purportedly spewing hate speech against the witnesses. And to my knowledge, I'm the first individual to ever be accused by Jehovah's Witnesses of, of hate speech. So it was quite extraordinary. Well, Scientology does that a lot more than the Jehovah's Witnesses, I, I guess. Imagine. Yeah. All of us are being <laughs> accused of, of participating and, and uh, starting hate speech campaigns. Just out of curiosity, Lloyd, what was it that, that they objected to so much? Like, what's an example that they consider to be hate speech? Oh, don't get me started. Well, three of the examples weren't even me. So they literally took someone who'd been who'd said something about about Hitler in the live chat, and they quoted it as though it was me, um, and they filed it under uh, statements downplaying the Holocaust. So they were trying to suggest. That I'm a Holocaust that. denier, right. uh, <laughs> simply because this person had made that comment on the live chat, right. and also because I'd fact-checked one of the governing body members when he said he exaggerated the number of witnesses who'd died during the Second World War, and I fact-checked him. But they were also, this is interesting, they were taking parts of my videos where I'd been criticising the persecution of Jehovah's Witnesses in Russia. I believe Scientology in Russia has been banned as well. Yes. Um, but I was, I've been very vocal against the banning of Jehovah's Witnesses in Russia because I see it as something where the, the individual followers pay a price, but the leadership doesn't. So there's a lot of capital for the governing body when their followers are being persecuted because they then get to create and they have done they've created all of these propaganda videos showing russian police storming into kingdom halls they don't really mind losing one or two properties it's 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 better for them in a way to have this this narrative of god's one true people being persecuted by satan's system of things so i've just been commenting along those lines and what they've done is they've cherry-picked my comments to make it look like I'm in some way supportive of what the Russian government is doing. And I'm not joking. In one of the examples they give, in the very same breath, 
I, I go on in the next few words to say, obviously, I condemn the actions of the Russian government, but they cut that off because it didn't serve their narrative. And it, honestly, the, the extent to which they were trying to mislead Ixa is absolutely gobsmacking. I'm and still then, working through the documents. Now, oh, you're yeah. are, are you having to defend yourself, or what? What is happening? I what I well what I've done is uh, initially, Ixa were hesitant to release the documents, but I argued yeah. that no, on your website you've allowed this letter to be published naming me with this right. accusation of hate speech so i get to clear my name right and so what i'm doing now is it's it's all backfired horrendously for jehovah's witnesses because now i'm making a series of videos showing how brazenly they misquote yeah. and how brazenly they lie right and it's all let's remember for the purpose of basically uh, rigging this yeah. inquiry so that there would be no critics who understand the organization and who are able to assist the inquiry to ask the right questions and sure. drill deeper on the main issues. Yeah, Sure, sure. Lloyd, Scientology tends to do those sort of things for their internal public to read. Like they, they write stuff on their Freedom magazine and on their websites and things that are so patently false and ridiculous that you kind of wonder why are they doing this until you realize that the actual intended audience for those things is to be able to show them to the internal members. If someone comes along and says, well, I watch, you know, I saw Leah Remini's uh, Aftermath show and blah, blah, blah. So they pull out this thing that they've got that says Leah Remini is this or Mike Rinder is that. Is mm. that the same thing with the with the Jehovah's Witnesses too? Well, up until now, and it's literally just changing as we speak, because you know I'm aware that the way Scientology, the way Scientology deals with critics is a whole other level. I think we all realise that. But with Jehovah's Witnesses, we are noticing them starting to get far more aggressive with critics. We've seen it in parts of Europe where they've litigated against authors uh, who they don't like, or. They took um, a representative of a, an anti-cult organization in Switzerland. They they litigated against her. They're not really doing that in America or in the UK. It's almost like they're they're starting to take their first few steps in in pursuing this fair game strategy that served Scientology so well. And oh, but prior to that, they were mostly ignoring apostates. This is the weird thing. They had this policy of basically burying their heads in the sand and pretending people like me aren't there and just encouraging their followers, don't listen to apostates, they're mentally diseased, they uh, feast at the table of demons, uh, their words are poison. <laughs> if, the way they put it is, um, would, you, would you try a, 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 a small sample of poison to see whether it's poison or not? Of course you wouldn't. You'd reject it. So that's what apostates are like. So that's been their strategy up to this point. But it feels as though with the way they've come after me and the way they've, again, been litigating in parts of Europe against writers and, and activists, it feels as though they're almost taking a leaf out of Scientology's book. Mm -hmm. and, and they're realizing, no, no, we're, we're losing this battle. You know, the Internet is, <laughs> you know, information debunking our entire set of beliefs is just a few clicks away People are figuring this out. We've got to do something about it. That's, right. that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Lloyd, perhaps for those who don't know anything about the Jehovah's Witnesses, you could just give us a brief sort of overview of the beliefs and practices of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Sure. So... Jehovah's Witnesses began towards the end of the 19th century. It was all started up by a gentleman named Charles Taze Russell, who was a bit of a crackpot entrepreneur who was easily swept along by lots of end times uh, predictions related to the second coming of Christ. He came up with his own theology uh, that Armageddon would come by 1914 at the latest. Obviously, that didn't happen. Right. Um, but he died only a couple of years later in uh, Halloween, actually, October 31st, 1916. 
there was a bit of a leadership struggle. Uh, a guy called Joseph Rutherford took over, who was kind of the Miscavige uh, uh-huh. of the group. So if think of Russell as the L. Ron Hubbard and Rutherford was kind of the Miscavige. Yeah. And he kind of refashioned the organization in his own image, brought in a lot of teachings that, um, well, he gave them the name Jehovah's Witnesses. Up to that point, they'd just been called Bible students. Mm. Uh, but in a nutshell, we're talking about a group that um, bases their beliefs, quote unquote, on the Bible. But they have a very kind of apocalyptic view that Armageddon is coming any moment, that Jehovah's Witnesses will repopulate the earth after Armageddon. So in other words, nearly 8 billion people are going to die at Armageddon and the earth is going to be repopulated by only 8 million or so Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm -hmm. They believe in this kind of version of two-tier Christianity whereby there are the 144,000 anointed who will rule in heaven and surprise, surprise, the governing body are in that number. Okay. (laughs) And everyone else will be their subjects on this earth that's been cleansed of pretty much everyone who isn't a Jehovah's Witness. Okay, so so just to be clear, only 8 million will survive this Armageddon, which is literally, uh, you know, I've seen the books, uh, you know, it's, you know, fireballs. Balls of fire. Yes. Falling buildings, chasms. Burning, burning, burning babies. uh, (laughs) No, literally, this is what... children are taught uh, and li- and it's literal it's not like uh no this is just an idea this is literally it's not metaphorical no there really Correct. will be a destruction yeah yeah and only eight million on this planet who are jehovah's witnesses will survive this uh fireball if they've been attacked. good jehovah's witnesses so not right. necessarily eight million, all right so yeah. let's just say four million of them <laughs> okay okay <laughs> And and of the four million, a hundred and forty-four thousand uh, of them are going to rule in heaven. Going to rule that, in heaven. The one hundred and forty-four thousand includes every all quote unquote worthy Christians going all the way back to the apostles, including people who never identified as Jehovah's Witnesses. And and people will be resurrected, literally come out in the pictures, Lloyd. You yeah. see grandma and grandpa yeah. just rising 100... out of the grave, yeah? I think I think it's been calculated as 100 billion because it's everyone who has ever lived. You think about how the Earth's straining currently under a population of nearly 8 billion. Uh-huh. They're expecting that everyone who has ever lived will be resurrected over a space of 1,000 years following Armageddon, which would, be, which would mean about 100 billion population of the planet. Okay. And um, we will, you guys will live as one with, with the, uh, with, with like, uh, I saw pictures of, of people with tigers. They yeah. were petting tigers, Lloyd. They, Who wouldn't like a, pet tigers? Like a house cat. <laughs> they would no longer be carnivores. It's going to be a global just... tiger king. Um, yes, but... <laughs> yes. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, so, uh, and you would live in harmony without us. What, what do you call us, Lloyd? Oh, without the worldly people. Worldly, yes, yes, yes. And um, so that so that is true that that Jehovah's Witnesses are living for this Armageddon that has yet to happen, even though it's been predicted many times the year that it would happen and it yeah. and it keeps changing this sure. armageddon and the basic beliefs are that all of us are evil and doomed if we do not convert to being a jehovah's witness yeah uh education is not important i've seen the videos of the governing body members uh who education is important so long as it's divine education New it, like, <laughs> in carpentry because that's that's what the governing body says. Look, we're yeah. not going to need doctors so much sure. because we are going to be perfect, and illness doesn't exist in this new world. They heavily dissuade higher education, correct? Because correct. that's a that's a distraction, and it's an opportunity for bad association to creep in and and corrupt you. It's far far more important for you to be serving the kingdom by warning people of the impending destruction. Sure, 
and they women are not allowed to hold any kind of official position within the Jehovah's Witness organization. Correct. Uh, women can contribute in in being teachers or in a play, but not in anything official. Oh, in, they can't within. even teach. No. So oh, if, they if can't teach. A, sorry. If you're a woman, the only way yeah. you're getting near the platform is if you're there to clean it, or if you're there at the invitation of a male speaker who's asking you to give an experience or do a demonstration. That's the only way you'll get on the platform. And this woman. is in the Bible, Lloyd. Apparently, well, they take the, some words by the Apostle Paul that says, uh, I desire the women to be silent. So they, they take words <laughs> no of the Apostle Paul. No shit. <laughs> I've often thought that those words were very sage. Did you, Mike? <laughs> you and my husband. You join you us and, for the final episode of my, the Fair Game podcast. <laughs> you and my husband. <laughs> um, so women are, are seen as subservient and do not have equal rights sure. as men. And the perhaps the most controversial of all is the refusal to accept blood transfusions. Yeah. And I, I the most vivid memories for me of of this whole experience with putting together that show was watching those videos about the heroic children who had been sacrificed, martyred to a greater afterlife because their parents chose not to give them blood transfusions and they died as a result. It's one of the, in fact, it is the most disgusting piece of video propaganda they've put out. I have a video on it on my channel, The Martyrdom of Jared Scepter. Okay, good. We'll look at that. Uh, yeah, we'll po it, we could post that, Mike. Or, yes, or no. absolutely. I'll have links to Lloyd's website and his books and that particular video and all that on our uh, fairgamepodcast.org.com, whatever it is. Thing. But they—they—that's another area in which <laughs> it's another area, though, in which the, the the mechanics of the organization are deployed to to put witnesses in harm's way. So, for example, recently I did um, an, an article for the National Secular Society in the UK about these teams called hospital liaison committees, because when a Jehovah's Witness is dispatched to hospital and blood is an issue. They will send out these teams of elders called hospital yeah. liaison committees, basically, and their job is to make sure that this witness martyrs themselves, to make sure that the doctors respect their wishes. Yeah, to say the least. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't celebrate Christmas or Easter. Um, they don't celebrate national holidays or birthdays, uh, mm -hmm. so... As a child, you are not celebrated anyway. You're not allowed to participate in these things at school. Well, the other thing that sticks in my mind is the demand that women are subservient to their husbands. I forget the word they use, Lloyd. It, in subservient yeah. is so, it, they they're yeah in subjection that right. they are required to submit to the the demands and the the sexual overtures the even physical assaults and beatings yeah. by their husbands because they are supposed to be subservient and right. there was something about going and sitting on the roof or something Lloyd that just sort of sticks in my mind I go oh my god what was yeah, that Yeah I think that was one of the stories that we heard but yeah you're right it goes beyond what we were saying earlier about women um, not having equal rights in the congregation and, and not being allowed to uh, hold positions of authority, shall we say. Uh, this whole idea of, of women being in subjection to the men also applies in, in marriages, in relationships, so that the husband is the head of the wife. And, what, and they take this view that marriage is permanent and can never, there can never be any divorce unless there is adultery, even if one partner is being violently abusive towards another, that's not considered grounds for divorce. You're only allowed a quote-unquote separation. You'll never be allowed to move on with your life, get married to someone else, or you'll be guilty of adultery. And that has the effect of causing countless 
well, not just women, but men as well, abused spouses to stay in abusive, dangerous relationships right. because they don't have anywhere else to go. Right. And and they are instructed to go to their elders, which are, are kind of like their point person in their area. And what what is the training of these men to to be uh, doling out advice of the law, doling out marital advice, uh, dealing with uh, children's issues, dealing with sexual abuse, mental abuse, physical. What 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 is the criteria for well, becoming an elder? Well, I was an elder for a year, and mm. I can tell you that there's no formal training in terms of how to deal with abuse victims or what your legal responsibilities are or anything like that. Your only training is from the organization and how to apply the organization's policy. And you believe that and, that's law, right? You believe that as we in Scientology Well, more important than the law. You know, it was above so, a law, so, above so law. They, yes. they call it Caesar's law. So Caesar's law is everything outside of the organization. Right. Jehovah's way of doing things comes first to the point where they call it relative subjection. You're in relative <laughs> subjection to the superior authorities or Caesar because they have the responsibility to um, to keep society running. Right. But when it comes to God's law, that takes priority over Caesar's law. Right. Uh, Lloyd, a question for you. Um, wh what would you say to somebody who's listening to this, who is in the Jehovah's Witnesses, or a cult like it, who, mm. you know, they are taught that people like me, like Mike, anybody who's speaking out, are the devil, mm. um, and usually rejects um, anything that comes out of our mouths. And the same with, with people like you. You're an apostate. You're part of the the world. The, the, what is the saying, Lloyd? The well, Worldly people. No, it's He's the other one. worldly people of Satan's. S sits at Satan's table and and sits on a the table of, of lies. <laughs> no, there was another saying, Lloyd. It's the mentally diseased, the wicked, oh, there's, there's loads. wicked ways, or something. Yeah. Uh uh, but what would you say to those? Because people who do listen to me and Mike or mm. you are people who are taking the first step, which is pretty sure. courageous. If we, we all know what that feels like, we wouldn't dare listen to apostates. We wouldn't mm. dare listen to people or even look at anything. But when we started to do that, all of us in our own secretive way, mm. uh, we, I was scared. I was, I gotta be honest with you. I was scared when I started to look and I was sure. scared to start to talk to people who were there and left and it's a very courageous step, mm. wouldn't you say, Mike? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so knowing that there might be one or two people out there <laughs> who have subjected themselves to, to this life or a life similar to it, whether it's a cult or an abusive relationship even, what would you say to them? Well, I've been doing this activism now for a number of years, um, in fact, next year will be my 10-year anniversary of when I first set up my wow. uh, website. And Congratulations. Thank you. So I've had a while to think about this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I guess I've settled on what I call the win-win scenario. So okay. the win-win scenario for anyone who is stumbling on material that debunks their cherished beliefs yeah. is research. If you do research into your beliefs, it's a win-win scenario. Let's say it's a Jehovah's Witness and they passionately believe that theirs is God's one true religion, but they, they're hearing someone like me criticizing it or apparently giving information that debunks it. The way to find out whether I'm speaking the truth or not is to do research. Right. And what's going to happen if you do the research is either you're going to find out that I'm a liar, either you're going to find out that I'm misquoting people and trying to mislead people, in which case, your faith will be stronger than ever because you'll have seen the very worst criticisms that can be leveled at the organization. You'll realize that they're wrong, and that will give you a basis for continuing in your faith mm -hmm. with it being rock solid. Or you'll find out that it was the organization that was lying to you, and that will give you the opportunity to do something about it. Either way, it's a win. It's a win-win scenario. 
You mean this is this is what you tell someone like that? Look, I mean, because this is a question that comes up very, very often. Like, how is the best way to address someone who even has that first inkling of doubt? And you're saying mm. your your win-win scenario presentation is the way that you have found most effective to have them take the next step? So I'm talking about people who stumble on my channel. I'm not talking about people calling me and saying, you know, and confronting me. I wish that happened, but no. you know, the Jehovah's yeah. Witnesses are generally more timid about that sort of thing. But yeah. that's that's the line of reasoning I employ so that when people come on my channel, I'm basically asking them to fact check. And that's something that the organization, right. I'm sure it's the same with Scientology, they yeah. don't want you to fact check. They right. don't want you to see both sides of the argument. I am actively encouraging people to fact check and find out whether I'm lying to them or not, because sure. I know I'm not lying. Do you understand? Well, in, of course. Now, in our mm. situation, they know we're not lying. Right. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's that we are speaking the truth is a problem, because if I say, let's say I took any celebrity Scientologist or anybody in the organization that really knew me well, right, and they were able to sit in front of me, for five mm. minutes, which they're not allowed to, but let's say they were. Mm. And I said, what, what are you attacking me for? You know, I'm telling you, what, what are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? What mm. are you doing? You know that that's true. You were there. It happened to you. It happened to me. Sure. Yes, but you shouldn't be speaking, Leah. <laughs> you shouldn't be speaking, Leah. You should make changes within the organization while being in the organization. Really? I should report David Miscavige to David Miscavige? Should I report L. Ron Hubbard? To L. Ron Hubbard, who should I report it to? You know that it's true. So in our in our case, right, Mike, they know that we're telling the truth. It's just that we are speaking. Right. All I would say, though, Leah, is yeah. that there's a spectrum. Yeah. So there's spectrums of of belief, or there's spectrums of of loyalty, or willingness to consider the other side of the argument. I think and you have it, a great point, Lloyd. I when think it comes this to is Scientologists. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you're going to find that probably the majority of them aren't yet at that place in their journey yeah. where they're even remotely open to looking at what the other side of the argument it is. Or yeah. What the other side of the argument is, it's only ever going to be, in my view, a small percentage who, for whatever reason, and in my case, it took moving to another country. Right. I never would have imagined the journey that I went on. Right. I, if I hadn't moved to Croatia, Leah. I wouldn't be here talking. I think I'd still be oh, a Jehovah's Witness. Oh, Lloyd, you know, I I uh, I did an interview with somebody who was a white supremacist mm. um, uh, for a show that was very important to me that I, I, I still want to do. But um, I said to him, well, what changed you? What changed you? And he was on house arrest mm. for a crime that he had committed, a hate crime. Uh, although they don't have hate crimes in this in the state, but um, he was home and he started to research what he had been taught his whole life. Mm. He was looking: is this really in the Bible? Because what 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 supposedly justifies our hatred and our violence and our ignorance is in the Bible. Well, so you have there a guy getting out yes. of this ideology by being yes. under house arrest. Yes. In your case, in your yeah. case, uh, I was listening to your last episode. Yeah. And you were talking about how you paid a million bucks yeah. to be on this upper super celebrity tier, yeah. which allowed you to see Scientology from a perspective you perhaps hadn't seen before. If you hadn't paid that million bucks, yes. do you think you'd be doing this show? No. I don't so think if go. I went to Tom Cruise's wedding, I never would be on the sure. show if I had not talked to Mike. And and Mike, by the way, was considered uh, enemy number one at the time that I was Quite talking rightly. to Mike. He's a vile person. Vile. Uh, and and he, he, Mike was saying to me, Leah, because I was like, I don't know if I want to leave. I think I could change it within the, you know, maybe I'll change it within, maybe I'll change it within. I, don't, I shouldn't even be talking to you. And he was like, Leah. Just do your research, honey. Talk to David Miscavige. To talk, you know, because I had a meeting set up with David Miscavige. See what he says, honey. You you don't have to make any decisions right now. Just do your own research. When I was going to Scientology and saying I was doing my own research, 
I was met with, I mean, slamming fists on the table. You don't investigate us. You don't look on the internet. You don't do investigation. Like screaming Mm. from me just looking on the internet or talking to Mike or, and they were accusing Mike of vile things that I wasn't allowed to confirm with Mike himself, right? So when you leave, they say, you did this, you did that. And none of my friends called me and said, you're being accused of this. Is that true? They just believed what Scientology told them, that I'm I'm an enemy. I've gone crazy. I'm talking to enemies of my church. God knows what else they've said. Um, they have said it publicly, though, Mike. <laughs> they put up websites. I'm interested websites. to know whether there's yeah. anything, Mike, that you did that if you hadn't done it or if that change in your life hadn't happened, you'd still be a Scientologist. Maybe being thrown in the in the hole. Well, he had uh, been thrown that, in the hole many times. Right. That, that was <laughs> that was certainly a part of it. I, I mean. I believe that it's always a process. It, yes. It's like not one, one thing, thing, but it is one thing in the end. Yes, yeah. but there it can be tiny. St- it can be tiny in comparison to being beaten up, Mike, right? Like, right, exactly. Yes. Yes. It could seem completely insignificant to everybody yeah. else, but to you, it is the straw that breaks the camel's back. Sure. And oddly, for me, that one little thing was the interview with John Sweeney. And that was the point, that was the point that I went, this is nuts. This is insane. I don't know what I'm doing. This is no longer what I thought it was. I'm done. That was it. That was the moment. And, you know, John, John likes to take credit for, I'm the person that got Mike Rinder out of Scientology. Well, Well, he was part of it. To some extent, that's true. But but my point is... Yeah. My my point is is that we're all that it's an individual journey that only that person can take. Correct. So if you're if you're taking someone, if you're just plucking someone out of Scientology that hasn't even begun that journey, of course they're gonna come out all guns blazing. Sure. If, however, they're honest and they're already taking their those first steps, maybe there's scope for a conversation. And uh, you provided know it's done in a respectful, kind way, yeah. And and I right. think that's important what you're saying, Lord. I think the advice that you just gave mm. is really spot on. You can't give up, you can't attack, but you should say to your loved ones who are stuck in this, just look. Mm. Just look for yourself, both sides. If what your religion, your cult, what your whoever it is is saying is true, it should stand up to your investigation um, and it should stand up to questioning and you yourself should see that it is true or not true, which is what Scientology pretends to be, right? Look for yourself, yet you look for yourself and you get penalized and then you get interrogated on a lie detector and that, that of which you have to pay thousands of dollars for, and then you have to make amends for talking to the enemy or looking up an, an enemy site. And I think what you're saying, I think what you're saying is absolutely spot on. That it's it's your journey. The fact that you are looking is good enough. Listening is good enough. You you take the first step towards finding out for yourself, and uh, you know hopefully you'll come out the other side with the right answer. And if you are disconnecting, shunning your friends, shunning your your family for a supposed religious belief, you really need to take a hard look at your core beliefs. And what you truly believe in your heart is the right thing, no matter what anybody says. And if you believe that that's true, and that's true for you, not a friend of mine. That's all I have to say. Yeah, it's, it's where you... <laughs> This is one of the struggles I have, Leah, is like when I think about my dad's behavior and the yes. way he won't even meet his two grandchildren. Yes. Where do I draw the line between um, him being indoctrinated and him not being in full control of his own brain? Right. And his basic responsibilities as a human being. Right. And, as someone who understands the bonds of, of paternal love. You understand? Right. And yes. now that I am a father myself. Sure. Could you imagine? I, 
exactly. It's, don't be stupid. Of course, I'm never going to shun my child just because they see things slightly differently to me. So that's one of the, the genuine problems that I have when I think about him in particular. It's like, to what extent do I attribute his behavior to the cult? And to what extent do I blame him for it? And I think there's no clear answer. Maybe it's a nuanced thing. I don't know, but. It, well, well, it is right because here, mm. here. Uh, but at the same time, I couldn't, I couldn't not tell my mother, "Mom, are you crazy? Like you're not going to know your grandchildren because you truly believe we're going to die in Armageddon. This is your core belief. I, I don't know that I could know you even if you wanted to know us on a mm. limited basis. You know, Mike mm. and I've had this conversation where. You wish people would come back into your life who were in your life, it, whether it's a daughter, a son, a, a friend that you've had for 40 years. And, you know, we've had a few people approach us throughout the years who were friends or family and say, you know, listen, I want to know you and Sophia, but I can't be public about that. And at first you're like, oh, I have you back. And then, you know, now listening to that kind of rhetoric, like I can't subscribe to it. You know, mm. once you leave that world of how you should think and how you should be, it seems really ridiculous. And I had to say, no, thank you. We don't not talk to people because they don't believe something. Now, I'm assuming we're talking about a person with basic, decent core beliefs, remember, I'm not talking about people who have crazy beliefs that hurt people and hurt themselves, right? I wouldn't talk to those people. I wouldn't be. It's like sitting across from somebody who does crack and going, you know, I'm going to accept that about you just because, you know, I don't believe in it, but you should do what you want to do. No. As a real friend, I'd say, get that fucking shit out of your arm and I love you and it needs to stop right now. That needs mm -hmm. to stop right now. We need to get you help, Right. And I feel that way about people who have these kind of extreme beliefs, that they're hurting themselves, that they're hurting people who love them. And I, I just couldn't do it. I said, I, I can't do it. I can't subscribe to you being ashamed of thinking for yourself and loving your family and friends unconditionally. Can't. So when you say ashamed because they they wouldn't want to be public about being in your life again. Correct. Because yeah. that goes against the beliefs of Scientology. Mm. And I said, you know, you have to make a choice. <clears throat> You're part of something bad. You're part of something bad. You're part of something that hurts people. You're, heart You're part of something that hurts children, that trains children to accept their abuse and to be responsible for their own abuse and who abuses people. I'm not going to be okay with you being part of that. Now, if you want to separate from that, then we could talk. But mm. I can't be part of that. So there's the difference, right? Mike, there is a difference. It's not that I'm going to accept every person and their religious beliefs. If your religious beliefs oppress people and hurt people, no, I'm not down with it. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's that's a, a power that you have that you've that you've taken back. I mean, yes. I've I've had a slightly similar thing where my dad has said, oh, well, I'd come to Croatia and I'd meet my grandchild. This was before the second one was born, Julia. Yeah. I'd meet Jessica so long as you and Deanna weren't in the room. So wow. if you could kind of be out of the picture so that I can meet my grandchild, I'd be cool with that. And I'm like, I wouldn't be cool with that. Uh, we come <laughs> as a package. Thank you. Right, right. And we're not going to normalize your horrendous behavior. So Right, because then your yeah. your children will grow up thinking something's wrong with daddy and mommy. Yeah, yeah. That grandpa They, they think can't... that this is not the way that adults actually should be with each other, you know. Right. And I'm yeah. sure that was extremely painful for you. Yeah. And we've yeah. had lots of iterations of that scenario with Deanna's side of the family where they've wanted to see Jessica without us being there. And we've had to say, <laughs> look, we're not going to have two different rules for two different sides of the family. This right. is the way things are with, with Lloyd's dad, and this is the way it needs to be with you. So it's it's thrown up all of these weird scenarios, which outsiders, 
just would have no clue about. They'd be like, "What? How, how on earth is that happening?" And but- and 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 to and to justify it by saying this is a decision that is spiritual and godlike, or it, 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 I, I just don't see how people see that, mm. see things that way. This is the when way a loving to- God wants things to go down. Yes, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. And of course, I'm sure you've had this conversation with your father. Well, I wish I had, but we don't have any conversations. I mean, obviously, I communicated to him that that's not going to yeah. happen. Right. Um, but the, any any conversations I've had or any communication with him has been very, very brief because the way it works is uh, they have what's called necessary contact. So <laughs> I basically the communication has yeah. been one way. And if he wants me to know anything, it will be in as few a sentences as possible. Wow. Um, but th- there's been no real conversations really since I disassociated back in 2013. Now, have you ever written him a letter that that tries to say, Dad, why don't you really think about what you're doing? Is this, mm. you're going to die without your family? And in his mind, he thinks I'm good because I'm going to be resurrected? I, I tried to reach out to him over a number of of messages. And then yeah. I think it was last year or maybe the year before, I managed to condense everything that I was thinking into a letter that yeah. just spelled out exactly what my position was because I felt as though there might be a few misconceptions on his side. Right. For example, I know that he wouldn't have been happy about me going on the Aftermath show right. and sharing the story about the hedges, you know? Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> yes. So I think I actually mentioned that and, yeah. and one or two other things. And I wanted to express to him that, you know, look, you... When I first disassociated, you said that we both must bear the consequences of our actions. Those were his yeah. words when I yeah. when he first started showing yeah. me. And I've said, well, the consequences, as far as you're concerned, is that your son gets to speak to the world and explain what a messed up situation this is. Those are right. the consequences of your actions right. in showing me. So I, I expressed a few things, really, and it just provided me with a bit of closure because I sure. basically said in that letter, I'm not expecting you to ever wake up, you know? Right. And yeah. so I'm not going to try and save you. Um, I just want you to know that this is my position. And and it was very cathartic to to put those words together, I found. Yeah, and still heartbreaking, no matter yeah. how how we look at it. I know, you know, we've all lost family and friends uh, by by separating from these cults and speaking out, and there is a price to pay. Mm. Um, but we continue on, and hopefully, we'll save a family, and um, to to avoid this kind of pain, and to keep their family intact, and to know uh, that there is life beyond. Um, these cults, there is there is life after, and we want you to live that life uh, mm. free of these bonds and these chains that that hold you. And we certainly understand how hard it is to extract yourself because there are there is a price to pay. Um, but hang in there, and we hope that uh, we've helped in some way. Again, Lloyd, your website is jwsurvey.org. Thank you. And we'll have this all up on the website, on on our website, as well as Mike's blog. I always find it very enlightening to speak to Lloyd from the perspective of he's in, he performs a similar role to us in a different world, but the worlds are so similar. It's, it's interesting, you know, this thing about the fact uh, that was most valuable to me. Yes, the, yes. The win-win situation. Yeah, it's a win-win situation. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. And it was actually on my list of questions to ask you, how do you deal with someone? And Leah jumped in and you answered it. So mm. I appreciate that tremendously. I think it's very helpful. And Lloyd, thank you for the work that you continue to do. We so appreciate you being out there doing that work because that would be another thing added to our list of things that we needed to do <laughs> well, and I appreciate that, having you and yeah. Mike as allies. You know, yes, I mean, absolutely. We we started by talking about the similarities between Scientology and Jehovah's Witnesses, and yes. that obviously means that our work and the work we're trying to do is inevitably also going to be similar. So, yes. for you guys to have uh, addressed this when you had the opportunity on the aftermath, 
yeah. uh, is just phenomenal and continues to uh, bring amazing results. So I, I can't thank you guys enough for the important work you've done and continue to do. And I'll always be cheerleading. Yeah, in the as corner, well so. us to you and and to those who've <laughs> reached out to us uh since uh thank you thank you for for telling us your stories and you know mike i get a tw- i get tweets every day saying i, I just saw the aftermath special thank you so much and and we want you to know how brave we think you are and we applaud you and you have a whole world out there to explore and um we wish you all the love in the world. You have our utmost respect. Till next time, thank you for listening. 